So over the past uh, six weeks, uh, we've been studying the Apostles' Creed here uh, in our church, studying the basic beliefs of the Christian faith, kind of walking through step by step the creed that we recited earlier, uh, exploring what it means for us, what it means for our life. And throughout the series, we've talked about what it means to believe in God the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, uh, that the God who is powerful enough to create the whole universe cares enough about us to be in relationship with us, desires to call us his children. We've talked about what it means to believe in Jesus Christ, our Lord, uh, that he gets us, that he's experienced the struggles, the temptations that we faced, that he has suffered in the same way in which we suffer, that he suffered for our sake, that he faced injustice for our sake. And he did it all so that through him there would be healing for all of our wounds. We talked about believing in the Holy Spirit, the person of God who walks with us through life, who is our advocate, our comforter, who empowers us to live a holy life. And we've talked about what it means to believe in the church, what it means for us to be the church, what God calls us to be as the body of Christ in the world. If you've missed any of these messages and services, I'd invite you to visit our website, to visit our YouTube page. You can check them out and and follow along for that sermon series or for any that we've done here in the life of the church. Uh, Well, this morning, though, we've reached the conclusion of the creed. We're actually not the conclusion. uh, It's the grand finale of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Our scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 28, verse 1 through 10. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to open them up to to that passage. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1 through 10. So after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord, descending from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised as he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. that first Easter Sunday. A couple of women who had come to know Jesus well went down to the tomb where he had been laid. 
In both Mark and Luke's gospel, it mentions that they were carrying spices to put on the body, part of their uh, ritual burial traditions. These women had to be experiencing something as they were walking towards that tomb. They were just a few days removed from parading into Jerusalem amidst loud cheers of Hosanna with, with the whole town in an uproar, excited about Jesus' presence there. A wild and exciting week of Jesus teaching and performing miracles all there in the capital city of Jerusalem. And it all had come to a screeching halt with Jesus being unjustly arrested. Perhaps a power play by the political elite. There was a quick trial and then a sentence of crucifixion. And these women looked on and they watched as they saw the nails pierce his hands and feet. They saw his body beaten and bloody hanging from the cross. They watched the spear as it pierced through his side. They heard his cries of anguish, heard him say it is finished And they cried together as they watched him take his last breath. That walk to the tomb had to be, had to have been the the, the heaviest, weightiest, most emotionally toiling walks that they had ever experienced. Like when the emotion is so strong, the grief so deep that you feel it in every part of your being. They're learning to live with the unimaginable. When they arrive at the tomb and they see the angels, they have to be at their breaking point. The first words from the angels, he's not here, he's been risen, must not even sink in. So the angel has to kind of follow up and tell them a little bit more. He says, hey, go look, you know, go see where he was at. You know, there, there's where he laid. You can go check it out for yourself. The angel has to follow up real quick just to help these women in this whirlwind of emotion grasp this new reality that seems unimaginable. The scripture says that the angels uh, told them to go and tell his disciples he's risen from the dead. As the ladies leave, they're bewildered and amazed, afraid, yet filled with joy. As they're walking, traveling, running to go visit the disciples, Jesus shows up and he greets them. The scripture says that they fell down. The women fell down and they worshiped him. I just wonder if you can imagine that feeling. If you've been traveling that emotional journey with these women this past week, can you imagine the euphoric shouts, the tears of joy, uh, the speechlessness, the awkward laughter when you don't know quite how to process what you're feeling? Jesus, uh, the one that they had devoted their life to, the one who had offered them hope, the one who they had seen perform miracles, who had fed the 5,000, who had healed those who were sick and lame, who had cast out evil spirits, that Jesus that they loved so well because he had first loved them so well, that same Jesus who they had seen die on the cross and be placed in the tomb was now standing before them. That's a pretty remarkable story, right? If they made it into a movie, I feel like it would have Oscar written all over it. 
What's more is that after this, Jesus would go on to visit with more than 500 other men and women following his resurrection. And then these 500 plus persons would go out and they would tell that story of Jesus. They would tell what Jesus taught. They would uh, talk about the miracles that he performed. Many of them would even perform miracles as they prayed over people in Jesus's name. Many of them would lose their life in a similar way in which Jesus lost his for preaching that he had died on the cross, that he had rose from the dead to forgive us of our sins and offer us life everlasting. And this story, the story of Jesus' death and resurrection, it has spread and spread from place to place all over the world. And though, and though churches have gone through conflict and scandal, uh, though the name of Jesus has been smeared too many times by those who profess his name, still yet, this story of death and resurrection goes on. I mean, it's pretty mark, remarkable, really, that a story over 2,000 years old still has the ability to bring a person to tears. A story over 2,000 years old still has the power to bring a person to life. Still has the power to bring about transformation. I mean, it is such a powerful story, a moving story, an inspiring story. And it must have some meaning or else you know, we wouldn't be here today. But my question, uh, the question for all of us, is do you believe this story? I mean, that's a big question. It's a big question because there's a lot that hinges on what you believe about this story. There's a lot that's determined about you and your life based on what you do with this scripture passage that we read from the gospel according to Matthew. Check this out with me here in Romans 10, 9. Uh, this is the apostle Paul who's writing. As he writes, he says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He's saying that salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, the promise of life eternal, is tied to whether or not you believe that story that we read from Matthew 28, 1 through 10. Right? The promise of eternal life, whether, whether or not you spend eternity in heaven is based on whether or not you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead. And I want us to notice... He doesn't say, well, if Jim's a really good person, kind of guy who'd give you the shirt off his back if you needed it. He doesn't say, well, if, well, Tina, you know, who's really kind to animals or Vincent, who really cares about the environment or Jessica is just such a good neighbor. Right? I mean, all of these things are good and, and they should be reflections of what your life looks like if you are confessing that Jesus is Lord. But, but what Paul says so that if you confess that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you believe? 
In another letter, uh, Paul writes, uh, this is a letter that he's writing to the church in Corinth. Uh, He's writing to address a number of issues and challenges that the church is going through. And as he's writing, he gets to what we call the 15th chapter. uh, And really this whole chapter that he's writing, all 58 verses are on the resurrection of Jesus. And there's a couple that I want to share with us that I want to touch on real quick. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 17. In this letter, he writes, if Christ has not been raised then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Right, he's saying that, that if this story is not true, if Matthew 28, 1 through 10 is just a nice story, a fairy tale ending to a gruesome death, something to make some people feel better, uh, but it's just a, a story that has no actual merits, bears no resemblance to reality, if it's just fake news, and faith in God is futile, it's, it's pointless, it's useless, it means nothing and it does nothing. The whole rest of the Apostles' Creed has no meaning if Christ has not been raised from the dead. Because if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then we're still in our sins. There's, there's no forgiveness, there's no cleansing of guilt, there's no washing away of shame, there's no possibility of being made new, there's no good reason to believe any of the rest of the story. But Paul doesn't leave us hanging. Just a few verses later, verse 20, he says, but in fact, not in hope, not in maybe, not in it'd be nice. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised. Right? The story is true. The first fruits of those who have died. Paul is telling us, it's like this, this is a true story. And it's a true story, not only for Jesus, but because of Jesus's resurrection, that all who believe in him, all who put their hope in him, all who trust and follow him, all who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in, our, in their heart that he was raised from the dead, that it becomes a true story for them as well, that they will be resurrected as well. Jesus is the first fruits of those who have died. If you've ever uh, had a garden or maybe even a fruit tree, uh, you, you know that, that kind of waiting, that longing for the first fruit to appear, that first tomato. I like tomatoes. I like uh, uh, gardening tomatoes. They're pretty easy, which is maybe why I like it. But, uh, but I love it when you see that first kind of little uh, tomato that, that, that shows up on there. It's still green. It's still just a tiny thing. Or, or maybe, you know, we're in Florida. Maybe you've got citrus trees in your yard uh, and you've got an orange tree. And you see that first little green ball that appears on your tree. And it brings such joy when you see that, that first one show up. Not just because it's like, oh, I've got one. But because you know when you see that one that there's going to be more that comes after it. This isn't just the first tomato. I can, I can make some spaghetti sauce coming, coming pretty soon, right? It's not just the first orange. I've got some orange juice coming or some orange marmalade if, if that's your thing. But it brings so much joy because you know that more is coming. You know that the work has paid off. And so Paul is saying that Jesus is the first fruit. That Jesus, his resurrection, is the promise that that the work has paid off, that Jesus's work, that Jesus's life, that his death, his resurrection, that it is all paid off 
And then salvation is possible. Resurrection is possible. Eternal life with him is possible for all who believe. Because Christ has been raised, we can be raised also. Because Christ is the first fruit of resurrection, that there is this promise that there is more resurrection that is coming. So I'm going to ask you again, do you believe? Do you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead? Do you believe that he died for your sins so that you might have new life? That he's been resurrected so that you too might have a resurrected life? Here and now, and a resurrected life that leads to life eternal. If you believe this morning, I'm going to ask you to say a prayer with me. I'm going to invite us all to bow our heads, close our eyes. I'm going to invite you to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I do believe that you rose from the dead. I believe that the story is true. So I invite you to be Lord of my life. Please forgive me of my sin. Wash away my guilt and shame. Help me to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for resurrecting me. Amen.